Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. Why are there so many fatal fires in Chicago? And who is to blame? I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Fires continue to take lives in Chicago. Since 2021, at least 53 people have died in residential fires. And in many of those cases, the city knew that there were safety concerns in the buildings. Here to discuss why this is happening and what missteps the city of Chicago has made is Better Government Association reporter Alex Nitkin and one of his sources for a new investigation, former Chicago Inspector General Joe Ferguson. Alex, let's start here. Where are people dying and who's been the most affected? Let's start there. Well, predominantly... The fires that we see, they generally happen all over the city, but most of them we are seeing are on the south and west side. And a lot of that is is because the buildings with uh, more aging facilities, aging stock, um, where landlords tend to not be as responsible. This is uh, generally also places where, um, you know, it's just more common for buildings to be missing smoke alarms, to be missing um, uh, free exit ways or to have... Uh, you know, exposed wiring or things like that where landlords just are not keeping up with um, uh, building safety and uh, are sort of seeing less pressure to do so. Tell us more about some of the people losing their lives here. So we focused on a couple of stories just to really make sure that folks understand the stakes of building safety and why this is more than just numbers on a a page. We had a story uh, go up on, on Friday that focused on the, the Burns family, of a five-generation family in Chicago that lived in Austin um, on Central Avenue. And there was a, a fire that started in their first-floor apartment. Um, they did not have a working smoke alarm from what we could see in fire department uh, documents. And um, Hersterstein Burns, who is sort of the, the matriarch of the family, um, was severely hurt and burned Um, She was in the hospital for three weeks and eventually died. And her grandmother, excuse me, her great granddaughter, um, London, a a three year old, was also in the hospital and has basically lifelong scars from burns. And in many of these cases, I want to reiterate, you reported that the city knew that there were violations. The city knew that there were violations. And I want to remind everyone that this is a follow up to a really excellent investigation that eventually won a Pulitzer Prize that. Um, I had nothing to do with personally, but was before I was there, but that the BGA and Tribune put together in 2021, compiling these dozens and dozens of examples of buildings where the city somehow knew that there were safety issues, a smoke alarm missing, um, some dangerous condition, didn't act, and then um, someone died. And we followed up on that. We basically found that this problem persists, and we found some examples of um, people dying in buildings where the city knew, but many, many more examples of buildings where there was a fatal fire and the city had no idea because there was just no inspection yeah. um, really in, in recorded history before that. And that's sort of the issue that we dig into. Good time to bring in Joe. Um, your office did an audit of the building's inspectors back in 2018, Joe. What did you find? We found in broad brush um, what uh, the BGA and the Tribune in their Pulitzer Prize winning story found in great and tragic detail. Um, Exactly that, that uh, the complaint system of the the building's department was thousands of complaints backlogged. 
um, their triage system really did not have sufficient rigor standards or even staffing. And there, there was behind all of this um, two um, very large issues um, that go to um, the somewhat technical um, public administration term of unfunded or underfunded mandates. We create regulatory systems and requirements, and then we don't sufficiently fund them. And here, that was twofold for the buildings department and, unfortunately, remain twofold for the buildings department, and that is, is that their data system through which these things are all inputted and tracked, if they are inputted, yeah. um, is is more than a decade old. And then they're grossly understaffed to actually be responsive to these situations, right. among others. And that data system, just more detail here, that the department employees, they complained of an antiquated software system that required inspectors to print uh, reports, take notes by hand in the field, and return to their office to, to type results into a database, and all of that just slowed down the process. Um, Alex, when your your colleagues first investigated this in 2021, uh, the Buildings Commission said that there were no systemic problems with code enforcement and that they weren't to blame for deaths in fires. Were they to blame? Well, that's exactly the difficult thing about this story and this problem is it's very hard to find any individual person to blame for this. I mean, it's there are tragic consequences we can see, but there's no clear villain. It's certainly not the building inspectors who, as Joe just said, are overwhelmed. They're just going out and, and doing their best and, and trying to flag safety issues. The issue is just a system that has not been set up to try to catch issues uh, and address them before they lead to, to deadly consequences. The fact that Chicago's building inspection system is entirely reactive and complaint-based. Um, if there's an unsafe building, if there's a, a fire trap, the only way that it is going to be investigated is if um, someone, most likely a tenant, um, calls 311, waits likely weeks and weeks, sometimes months, as, mm-hmm. as that IG report found, um, and then hopes that an inspector will come out there, flag something, and then hope that the city will be able to somehow use its leverage to uh, fix it. I, that Austin fire that we were just talking about, um, city inspectors had been there, you know, dozens of times um, going back more than 10 years. And, and the city even brought the property owner to court. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, it, it didn't make a difference. Joe, what is supposed to happen with inspections? Like which buildings are supposed to be inspected and, and how regularly do inspections happen? First off, when there's complaints, there's no proactive system. Um, as Alex noted, um, and as prior reporting and the IG's report noted, this is a complaint-based, meaning reactive system by and large. And um, so then the question is, what's the time for response there? And in reaction to the, in response to the 2018 IG audit, um, where we found thousands of cases of non-timely response and huge backlogs, um, what, what changed was the regulations were changed to allow for a longer period of time to respond. And um, that wasn't on the basis of any sort of science and legislative hearings. It was simply a reaction. Um, and uh, it's, But it's supposed to happen within 90 days in the worst-case scenario, and um, it, it still doesn't. Um, and to connect it up, and, and I'll be brief on this, to connect up how complex this ends up being because of unfunded and underfunded mandates, one of the responses that, that the latest story writes about is a new city ordinance pushed by Alderman Gil Viegas. And um, that connected up, in my mind, to a 2022 IG audit Mm -hmm. about the fact that um, uh, new construction 
whether it's renovation or wholly new construction, um, there's supposed to be permit inspections before um, a certificate of occupancy is released. And the IG's office found uh, a sampling of 42 of these situations, 35 of them residential, um, is that um, they're not being inspected. Yeah. Certificates of occupancy aren't being given. And what that means is this new um, ordinance um, that requires um, better um, alarm systems, uh, smoke detector systems, is going into a system that isn't even situated to yeah. enforce it. I'm still stuck on the fact that you mentioned this being a reactive system rather than proactive. But once inspections do happen, Joe, so that we're clear, once the inspections happen and violations are noted, what is supposed to happen next? What's supposed to happen next is a cure. And what happens is the citation actually goes to administrative hearings. Um, quite often there is um, a, a, a period of time for the building owner to actually cure, and that may resolve the citation. Um, and, but quite often um, uh, the city really should know about repeat event offenders, landlords um, in multiple buildings doing this, and there should be the levying of significant fines um, against those landlords. Okay. But the Department of Law itself is overwhelmed, as is the administrative hearings um, uh, court on all of this. Um, but there's supposed to be an immediate cure and then an inspection that follows up to confirm it. So there are really, I would say, three categories of things that the city of Chicago can really do when they see that there's an unsafe condition. They can find them, which is really just a result of those administrative hearings. They can sue them, which is, you know, the law department going through this often very lengthy and month-long process trying to drag them through court, or they can put them on this sort of wall of shame called the building code scofflaw list that Mayor Lightfoot has revived and sort of pointed to as a, you know, well, we fixed it. Um, but it, it really doesn't have very many teeth or carry any penalties. What we looked at is a number of other cities, most notably, I think, Los Angeles, that has this whole range of creative programs um, called uh, like one called the rent escrow account program. The city can actually step in and force um, a, a building's uh, a landlord's rent collections to all go into an escrow account that it can only use to pay for and uh, repairs or the city can actually make the repairs itself and then give the bill to the landlord. There are all of these other not just L.A., but. There was this movement across the country of, you know, L.A., Denver, Minneapolis, uh, Boston, New Orleans are all moving to modernize their inspection systems to make them more proactive, um, more dynamic. Mm -hmm. And um, Chicago, if anything, is moving in the opposite direction, as evidenced by the just the elimination of that three-week response deadline and no mm. other effort to fix it. Alex, I want to go back to that building code scofflaw list that you, you mentioned. Who gets put on that? And is it effective? Well, you get put on the building code scofflaw list. There are uh, a number of factors. I think most notably, it, it's if if the building department finds some kind of really hazardous condition, mm -hmm. um, or if it has been in court, the building has been uh, wrapped up in, in court for I think it's eighteen months or more. Um, and then what happens if you're on this list, which gets updated every six months? It was you know created by the Emanuel administration back in 2015, then sort of abandoned. And then right around the time this uh, investigation two years ago came out, the Lightfoot administration sort of revived it. They have been repopulating it, and it's now about 270 buildings on it. Um, the it, it, consequence of being on the list is that basically you, you just can't get any city incentives. You right. can't get a zoning change or it's, you know, tax yeah, break. Yeah, sure, Chicago like landlords whose buildings are on the list, they're ineligible for city incentives like tax breaks zoning changes, et cetera. And they're supposed to then undergo annual inspections. 
um, just as a matter of course. So the problem is that from what we could see, this list is missing many, many buildings because um, something else we we talked about in the piece is that there are so many unsafe buildings that are just not getting inspected at all. Yeah. And then once you're on the list, there's not much incentive to get yourself off of it because there's no real penalty. It's yeah. just you can't get Well, let, let's dig more into that, that safety issue. And I want to get Joe's take on the back end of this. But the second part of your reporting uh, out this morning, Alex, it's the fact uh, that smoke detectors are, are a huge part of these these fatal fires here. Um, in many of them, uh, the building or the unit didn't have a working smoke detector, which we know those are essential, right? And they can make the difference in being able to get out of a burning building before it's too late. Chicago, which is the crux of your piece here, it's lagging behind national trends in updating smoke detector regulation. What's going on? Well, it, uh, we all have or are supposed to have smoke detectors in our homes, and we're all probably familiar with those kinds of detectors that um, go off when they're not supposed to. They have those 9-volt batteries that you have to replace all the time. You know, they chirp when they're low, and they have to be the batteries have to be replaced every six months. Going back about 10 years ago, a lot of cities and states around the country have been trying to move uh, into regulations that phase that out in favor of a more modern alarm that has a sealed battery inside that you can just put up on the ceiling and then forget about, and it'll last up to 10 years. Um, and so we sort of documented the legislative journey of this parallel effort in Illinois and then in the city of Chicago going back to 2015 to try to mandate that everyone has these newer detectors when we're seeing so many fires where people will die or, or untold property is lost where, you know, the detector is just up on the wall and doesn't or on the ceiling and doesn't yeah. have a battery inside because it was annoying. It was going off. You know, you needed the battery for something else. Very common. Um, so basically, we just documented this long process of a lot of forces that have really been trying to slow down that legislation and and yeah. prolong it. Joe, what do you make of, of why the third largest city is lagging behind national safety trends? The culture of Chicago, and this is from my years as inspector general, the culture of Chicago, when you tell a department um, that they have an issue, uh, first thing is, well, this is the way that we've always done it, and it's fine. Um, and um, what you're seeing in these other cities is a recognition that the way that things have always been done actually could be better. We're slow to the mark on that culture culturally. Second off, these situations quite often involve multiple agencies of the city. And in a multi-agency situation, there's a question of who has the lead, who has the authority. And where that exists, it's the mayor's office that actually has to bang some heads. Um, and so you see here, we have the buildings department, we have the fire department. Ironically, it's the fire department that is pushing back on this more rigorous um, uh, smoke detector battery um, uh, system. And it was great to read in Alex's and, and company's report, uh, you know, the city of Philadelphia, whose fire department has a community action team that goes out and installs these things. Yeah. Our fire department said, well, we've already got a system for, for giving away free batteries, not the adequate kind. Mm -hmm. And we're going to continue to do it that way. There's no political consequence, um, and there's nobody that's actually running the show. And, and, Joe, can you just briefly clarify, what is the responsibility of the landlord versus the tenant when it comes to keeping buildings safe? The landlord, the landlord has the ultimate responsibility. The landlord is the one that is essentially the licensee of the city. Um, the landlord is the one that has the contractual obligation to assure that the city's regulatory code has been satisfied for the safety of the tenants. 
if there's something that's that, that in addition to that, that's worked out between the landlord and the tenant. But this is on the landlord. And there is, you know, there's one thing that could be done even in this inadequate system. Um, there's a great deal of due process that slows down the ability to enforce these things once they're in court. If you had a system that just proactively required the landlord mm-hmm. to annually certify that they have done what they are supposed to do, any situation where it was found that they didn't, that becomes automatic. There's nothing to litigate at that point. They misrepresented. Yeah. That's it. I just want to add one quick caveat to whose responsibility it is, which is that when there is legally, when there is a detector that is mounted, but there's no battery inside, that often becomes the tenant's responsibility because they sign a lease saying that they're going to replace the batteries. And so a lot of the point of this legislation to move to sealed detectors is to put the onus fully on the landlords and not be able to sort of blame the tenants whenever there's a, a fire and they don't have a battery. Glad you're here to share this. Alex Nitkin, reporter for the Illinois Answers Project at the Better Government Association, and Joe Ferguson, former inspector general for the city of Chicago. We'll leave it there, but thank you both. This episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Linnea Dominic and edited by Meha Ahmed. You can check out the investigation from the Better Government Association and the Tribune at chicagotribune.com. And you can learn more about our show at wbez.org slash reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening and have a great day. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.